This month we're doing the life of Paul. And it's, it's very interesting when you consider um, his life because most of the time that we, you know, we, we've taught before, we've been focused on his life after his conversion. But you know, he was probably at least in his 30s when he got converted. And we, we want this, this uh, lesson to kind of focus on, on what was Paul like before his conversion. In fact, his name at that time was called Saul, and his Roman name was called Paul. But I want as a focus this scripture in Philippians. And of course, Paul, of course, is probably the, one of the most famous apostles in the New Testament because he wrote so many of the New Testament epistles. And there are so many scriptures we could have chosen as the focus scripture, but I just love this one because of the circumstance. This was near the end of his life. He was a prisoner in Rome. And uh, this is what he says in Philippians 3.13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. That means to achieve, to have attained. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This scripture, there's so many scriptures we could take Paul at, but this one is, is so important for this reason. Because it gives us a template on how to deal with our life. You know, when I, when I, when I think about that, most of us, when we look back, we have regrets. There are things we, we say, I wish... I wish I would have done this differently, or I wish I would have made this other decision. But what Paul is showing us here is that you cannot drive a car backwards, looking backwards. I mean, it's difficult. You can't go very fast. And you cannot change the past. You can only deal with the present and direct your future. And so he says, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. If you focus on your mistakes, you'll be very down. You'll be very uh, disgruntled. You'll be very melancholy. I mean, maybe there's things this week, there's a lot of things I can look back this week and say, I wish I had done this. There were people I should have called or I forgot to call or things people I should have reached out to or things come to me on Sunday mornings that, man, I forgot to do that. But I have to put that out of my mind. That is the past. All I can do is look forward. And so this scripture is what I chose because Paul is here at the end of his life almost, but he's saying he's still looking forward. He didn't look back on the 30 years and, and say, oh, I, I forgot to do this or I did that. And this is one of the keys to maintaining your joy and your peace is to not look back on the past and think there is uh, anything or focusing upon that. You have to look forward. He says, it's not as if I have apprehended. He's saying, listen, I'm still fighting. I'm, I'm, I've been in this 30 years, but I'm still going forward. I'm not looking back. I'm reaching forth unto those things which are before. What was before him? He says the, the, in another scripture, the prize of the high calling in verse 14. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You are in a life that has a high calling. There is a prize. There is a, there is a, a, a reward at the end of this. 
And so I wanted this week to just focus on a little bit more on Paul's life before his conversion. Because I'm pretty sure you would not have liked him. He was not a, a nice person as far as to Christians. So we're going to look backwards, starting actually from his conversion, going backwards. And you know the story. He was on the road from Jerusalem to Damascus in Syria, and he'd been given authority by the high priest to, to arrest and to take captive and to bring them back to Jerusalem, all those who were Christians or who were, as it was called, in the way at that time. Acts 26, verse 14, and God did a sovereign act. Jesus said, you know, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Many of us think that we're here because it was totally our choice. Well, yes, our choice was involved, but somehow the gospel message, some series of circumstances led you to hearing your first word, being invited to church somewhere. Right? Some circumstance. You met someone who said, hey, why don't you come to church with me? Some circumstances happened that opened a door for you to hear the word. And then it became your choice as whether to you accepted it. Here is a, the same thing happened to Saul. He was on his way to kill Christians. And God did a sovereign choice. And it had to be this way because he had heard the gospel he, he had inter interrogated many, many Christians, but he would not receive it from any of them. He had he'd thrown many of them into prison. No doubt he had interrogated them and argued with them, and they tried to persuade him of the truth of the gospel. It took us, in Paul's case, a supernatural event to come into his life. And when we were, when we were for all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, he spoke in Hebrew, Jesus did to Saul. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks, the goads. In those days, um, the, the, the carts that they would have that they would use for, for hauling stuff, they would have little um, pointed um, spikes along the back just in case the animal was resisting and sometimes the animals would try and kick or, or resist going forward. And so that would teach them not to do that because they, they, their, their hinder parts would hit the spikes. And so after a while of trying to kick out, they would learn not to do that. And God was telling Paul, listen, you're doing exactly that. You're trying to kick against the direction that I wanted you to go. And many times that's why our life is kind of spiky, right? Because we're kicking against the direction in which God wants us to go. And if we were listening, maybe there would be a voice that would be saying to us, Saul, Saul, why are you going against me? Why are you fighting my direction? Why are you fighting my will? And the, the, another scripture says the way of a transgressor is hard. Because the trouble is once we come to Christ and we know him, then we can recognize when certain negative things are coming into our life. So this was the transition point where Paul finally realized who it was he was fighting. As I said, he had probably talked to many Christians. I'm sure they had witnessed to him and tried to persuade him, but it hadn't gotten through. It took a supernatural intervention. And I really believe in each case, although it may not be a light and a voice, God has got to do something to our heart for us to really come to a, a point of, of, of knowing him truly. Amen. And so this event 
was so special in Paul's life. So I want to go back a little bit more and tell you some of the background about Saul and his life as to why it took this to change the direction in his life. And we find that throughout the New Testament, Paul gives little hints on his, on his upbringing and where he was born and a little bit about his family and some of the events. So we're going to dive right in. In Acts 22 verse 3, he gives his background. He says, I am verily a man which am a Jew. He said he was born into a Hebrew family, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia. Now I'm going to show a little picture of that. Cilicia was a kind of a unique city that the Romans uh, Empire ruled and it was located in Turkey. And why it was a significant city was because it was exempt from Roman taxation. Now that was very rare that most of the Roman provinces, every town, every city, uh, they had to pay taxes. But Cilicia, the city of Cilicia was unique in that because uh, many years before the, the, the town had supported the Emperor Augustine, he had designated that he had returned the favor to the city and designated them a tax-free haven. Not only that, he had granted Roman citizenship to nearly all of the citizens of Cilicia. That was something that the Romans didn't normally do if it wasn't actually in Rome. If you weren't actually born in Italy, they didn't just grant you citizenship. And so that's why Paul's parents were citizens, Roman citizens, and that's why when he was born, he was automatically born a Roman citizen. Now, in those days, you could buy citizenship, or you could go through a naturalization process, as, as people in America do. When you come here, if you've been here five years, you can apply for citizenship, and that's called a naturalization process. But if you were born here, you're automatically a citizen. You don't have to really apply for citizenship. You're automatically a citizen. You know, and that's why we have to be born again. Because when we're born into the heavenly kingdom, we become automatic citizens. Amen of the heavenly kingdom. So Saul, as he was known at that time, was born in the city of Tarsus. And his family were devout Jews. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, which is interesting. Because we find that there was another Saul some hundreds of years before who was also of the tribe of Benjamin. Have you ever thought about the coincidence that the first Saul was specifically called by God to lead Israel? The second Saul was also specifically called by God to, to be a, an apostle to the, um, to the Gentiles. One of them took the challenge but then finally disobeyed and kept on disobeying till he lost God's favor. The other, despite persecution and opposition and imprisonment and stoning and shipwreck, endured. And that's why he said, I fought a good fight. Amen. So he was born approximately, uh, history tells us about five years, um, five to seven years after the birth of Christ. As I said, in modern day, what's known in modern day Turkey, and he was born to Jewish parents who possessed Roman citizenship. At some point, they decided to move back to Jerusalem so that Paul could be better educated in the law because they were very zealous uh, Jews. They were of the sect of the Pharisees. 
And so they, his parents and his whole family, it appears, moved back to Jerusalem. How do we know that? Well, we know that because we find in Acts 23, 16, mention of Paul's sister's son. So we know for sure that Paul had family, that he had a sister who was married. And the, the occasion of Paul's sister's son was many years later when Paul was arrested, his sister's son came and warned him and was telling him of some of the things the Jews were plotting. So history tells us that Paul's family moved from Tarsus and they ended up in Jerusalem specifically so that Paul could study under the great um, Jewish uh, Pharisee whose name was Gamaliel. He was like the, the, one of the upper echelon leaders of the law and teachers of the law. So he studied, the Bible tells us, at the feet of Gamaliel. So he was very steeped in the law. He was very zealous. He was very righteous about, about his Jewish heritage. And anything that, that threatened it, I'm sure he was very angry about. The city he grew up in, of course, was a pagan city. They worshipped all kinds of idols. In fact, they had specific pagan rites that they would carry out that I'm sure Paul's family decided, we got to leave here. We can't stay in this place. And so they went to Jerusalem. Uh, today, uh, you, can, you can go to what was Tarsus and you can see some of the old ruins on the Roman roads that they paved. And it was, a, as I said, a very unique city because it was one of those few cities where the Romans exempted it from taxation and designated the, gave the citizens uh, Roman citizenship. Paul then gives in Philippians a little bit about his background and, and, and his life showing that he was so zealous for the law. He said he was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He gives his tribe a Hebrew of the Hebrews and as touching the law, a Pharisee. In those days, there were about four Jewish sects or, or groups. There was the Sadducees who were the, the Arist, you know, the richer folk, the wealthier folk who, who controlled the priesthood at that time and were the high priest and the assistant high priest. And they were the ones that controlled the temple. They were the ones that run the temple. And they had only belief in the first five books. They didn't believe in the rest of the books of the Bible. They only uh, gave authority to the Torah, to what Moses wrote. So they didn't really obey much of the writings of any of the other prophets. Now the Pharisees, on the other hand, did believe in the rest of the, 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 the writings or the ketuvim as it's called. And they also believed in the Torah. And the Pharisees mostly ran all of the synagogues. So they were more closer to the common people, even though they tended to be uh, self-righteous, right? We, we know the story in the Bible of the publican and the Pharisee. They paid their tithes. They did all of the, the right things. On the outward side, they were so perfect. Jesus said, on the outward side, you look like a tomb. You're all pretty and marble. But on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. <laughs> and you know, a lot of us can be like that. We can look so good on a Sunday morning, but inside we're dealing with a lot of stuff. So those were the two, two major uh, groupings at the time of Jesus and of Paul. And Paul was saying that he was of the group of the Pharisees, that they, they believed in the oral law. Whereas the Sadducees did not. They just, they just believed only what was written in the Torah. And because of that, they did not believe in a bodily resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe 
uh, that you were going to come back in a body. Uh, as I put there, about AD 10, so when Paul was about five or six, his family moved to Jerusalem. And about uh, at the age of 10 or 12, when uh, a Jewish boy goes through their, what they call their bar mitzvah or becomes technically an adult, he would have started uh, studies in Hebrew scriptures in Jerusalem under the, the chief rabbi at that time, Gamaliel. Now the organization of the Jewish system at that time was they had a council called the Sanhedrin. And that was composed of the 70 elders of, of, of both of the groups, both the Sadducees and the um, Pharisees. And each of them had seats on that council. So it was under Gamaliel, so to speak, that he began his in-depth study about the law. Um, let me just go on a little bit more about the Pharisees and the Sadducees because it's because of these two groups fighting in the end that Jerusalem was overthrown by the Romans. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, um, both groups honored Moses and the law, and they both had a measure, as I said, of political power. Um, but, the, but the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And you remember that Jesus confronted them and said, the Bible says that he's God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And I'm sure that blew their minds. What he was saying, Abraham is, is not gone forever. There is hope. Amen. There is hope. Amen. That when we die, we're going to be resurrected. So we see that the, the, the four major sects, the other two were called the Essenes and the Zealots. And the Zealots were the, the real radicals of their day. They were the, they were the um, we call them today, terrorists. Because they were always plotting against the Roman occupation. If they could catch a Roman soldier in a dark alley, they would kill him. And so this is why it's so interesting when you look at the people that Jesus chose as apostle. Because one of them, his name was Simon Zelotes. Because he was from the Zealots. Jesus chose fishermen. He chose tax collectors. He chose what we would call terrorists. And everyone that came into contact with him was changed. It doesn't matter, as I was saying, what your past is. That's why Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind me. If Paul were to have thought about all the things he did, he could not, he could not have functioned as an apostle. If he started looking at his first 30 years of his life, he would have been paralyzed. He, he would say, there's no way I can go preach. There's no way I can go teach. Today, in our section... We have pastors in this section who spent time in prison. I'm not going to call their name. They, I'll let them testify. There are pastors in our section who, who were in prison. Can you, can you see what God can do when you come into contact with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? You know, that's what God can do. He can change your life. Amen. Um, they, they were always fighting the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they did not agree on much except, except that uh, on Moses is where they, they mainly agreed. So the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, of course, were the elitists. The Sadducees were the elitists and the arist aristocratic and the wealthy. And the Pharisees were more representative of the common working people because 
they ran all of the synagogues all, all over Israel. So the Sadducees' center of power was of, of the temple and in Jerusalem. And the Sadducees tended to kind of um, curry favor with the Romans because it was the Romans that gave them their power and authority. So I put a little chart there to show you the differences in beliefs. And so this is the environment that Saul grew up on, under. He was so, um, so sure he was right and that what he had been taught, um, there was no other uh, way. Even though he had read the scripture, his light, his, the light was not open to him. You can read the Old Testament and the New Testament and still not have it open to you. Because the scripture tells us that the God of this world hath blinded the eyes. So people can read the Bible and still not understand. That was the case with the Ethiopian eunuch, right? He was coming back. He was a devout believer in the Jewish God. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he opened the scripture and was reading the book of Isaiah about, about Jesus. But he didn't know what it meant. It said he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And he was reading all of this about Jesus in Isaiah 53. And he had, still could not understand it. It takes the one who wrote it to give you the understanding. The Bible says, if our message be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, who the God of this world hath blinded the eyes. Satan wants this world to keep blinded so that they cannot understand the truth of God's word. Because when you do, the Bible says, so that the glorious light, the more I study the Bible, the more I smile, the more I, I, I go, wow. I go, wow, Lord, you had this all together, even though I didn't understand it. Okay? So we see that this was the environment that Saul grew up in, and he was zealous. He was going to make sure that nothing came in and corrupted the, 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 the beauty of the Jewish religion and the Jewish law. So he turned into a persecutor. He turned into a persecutor. And when Christianity, the day of Pentecost, started and, 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 and people started converting to, as it was called, the way, he fought against it because... The Bible tells us in Acts that there were thousands of, of priests that became believers. And so this made Paul mad and he de decided to start persecuting the church. He decided he was going to persecute the church. We find the first mention of this in Acts chapter 7 and verse 58. When they arrested Stephen, who the Bible tells us was the first martyr, Christian martyr, and cast him at the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. So maybe he did not throw the first stone, but he certainly organized it and was in charge. And once they had killed Stephen, they came and brought his clothes as a witness with the blood and laid it at Saul's feet. And then the next reference to Saul is in the very next chapter, it, it tells us that Saul was consenting unto his death. And at, the, at that time, there broke out a great persecution in Jerusalem. God allowed a great persecution against the church. Why did he do that? Anyone? Why do you think God allowed there to be such a, a great persecution when they started putting people in prison and beating people? That's right. Because... They had become so comfortable 
they had not realized that he said starting in Jerusalem but then to Samaria, Judea and to the uttermost ends of the world. After the day of Pentecost they all just stayed right in Jerusalem and they were just happy. They were having revival. People were being saved. And they were quite content to just stay there and just let it do its own thing. So God allowed persecution to get them off of their comfort. You know, sometimes God will allow persecution so that we shift off of our comfort zone. You know, because sometimes we're quite happy to just stay in the same place. But God will bring stuff into our lives either to make us pray more, either to make us question, either to get us moving, get us more zealous. Because if something comes into your life, you're going to have to deal with it. And so, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which, which was at Jerusalem. And what happens because of the persecution? It tells us what happens. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So all of the new converts started to move out of Jerusalem and go all over the, 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 the region, and the gospel spread. But it was because of persecution. Why did America get started? Persecution. The, the, they got on the Mayflower, those Protestants, and they came to America because of persecution in Europe. So sometimes the things that we, we think are um, hard are there for a reason. I taught Tuesday night about the thorn in the flesh. And how sometimes God will give us an injection to inoculate us. In Paul's case, he said, I was given a thorn in the flesh because of the surpassing great revelations. In other words, God did that to keep him humble. God allowed some things into his life so he didn't get too big-headed. So he didn't think, wow, I'm, I'm it. I'm, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. Amen. God will allow some things into your life to keep us humble, to keep us praying. To keep us dependent on Him. I mean, why do you pray? Now, I know we should pray even when we have no trouble, but let's be honest now. When do we pray? <laughs> it's, it's when we have trouble. Wouldn't it be great if we would just pray at the same depth when we had... I try to do that. I try very hard when I, get a, when I can't think of any problem to just start. Thank you, Lord. I don't want anything from you today. I just want to thank you. I want to lift up your name. Wouldn't that be awesome if we did that? So God allowed persecution into the church so that the gospel would spread. And God allowed Paul to be almost the center of it. In verse 3 of Acts 7, it says, As for Paul, he made havoc. He made havoc of the church. He made it his sole purpose to try and destroy God's church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. He didn't, he wasn't uh, biased, he wasn't just taking the men. He would take any believer. Imagine if that started to happen today. What would you do? What would you do when they come and say, you're going to have to bow down and worship the system or whatever it is. What will we do? What will we do? It's, it's something to think about. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. I heard a story 
And I'm, I'm not sure, I don't know if it's true, but this is the story I heard, that back in the days of the persecution, there was a, a group that was gathering in a, in a secret place worshiping, and the soldiers broke in. And the, and the, 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 the captain of the guard said, okay, I'm going to give you all one chance. If you're willing to recant and to deny Jesus, we're going to let you live. But if you don't, you're going to be killed. All of those who want to live, you can leave and we'll let you leave. And a few people left. Then he ordered the doors closed. Then he said, I was just testing you because I'm a believer too. <laughs> but I don't want to be with any people who are not willing to die. I don't want to be with people who are not willing to die because I'm laying down, I'm willing to lay down my life. You know why the early church was so powerful and so strong? Because those were willing to lay down their life. The thing about persecution is it sieves, it filters those who are really in this thing and those who are just showing up. Because once your life is under threat, we'll see whether you are doing this for what reasons. So that's the story I heard. That That's what happened one of these times. One of the soldiers, he was a believer, but he wasn't wanting to risk his life for people who were lukewarm. And so all those who were lukewarm left, and then he said, shut the doors. And then he revealed that he was a believer too. Verse 4 says, Therefore they were scattered abroad, went everywhere, preaching the word. Although they were forced to leave Jerusalem, that only meant that the gospel started to spread. You understand, because they were 100% for this thing, the Bible says, in the book of Revelation, it says they loved not their lives unto death. I want to be at that place that if and when that happens. The, you know the word witness means martyr. The, word, the English word that we have witness in the Greek, the word, it, it means martyr. They were all willing to die for Christ. The trouble is, if you can't live for Christ now, how are you going to be able to die for Christ? Don't want to upset some people. I was going to say, you can't even come to church. <laughs> now I know some people are sick and some people have good reasons. But if you have no good reason, are you going to be honestly be willing to die for Christ? You can't come to church. That's all those in internet land there listening to me. So Paul went on a tirade. And he started persecuting the church. Putting people in prison. Torturing them. That's what he did. Torturing them. Killing them. Verse chapter 9. And Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest and he desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. In Acts 22.4, he's telling his story. He said, and I persecuted this way unto the death. He's saying, I had people killed. 
You know, we look at Paul as the great Paul and all his... But that was after he was saved. That's why I want to focus on what he was before he was saved. And I persecuted this way unto the death. We don't know how many people Paul killed, but he probably killed quite a few. There were thousands and thousands at the church in Jerusalem. Thousands. Thousands and thousands. He said, and I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and he split up families. In Acts 26 verse 9, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This is also I did in Jerusalem. Many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. This is the person God is going to use. This is the person God can save. This is the person that's going to turn into Paul. You know, as I said, we focus on his life and all the things. But you need to look at what he was before. And all the things he did. Now you understand why he said in verse 1, I can't look backwards. I, I have to forget the things that are in my past. Because if I look at the things in my past, I can't do nothing. I was a killer. I was a murderer. I made people deny the name of Christ. Can you think of anything worse than that? And yet, God's grace, God's mercy saved somebody like him. I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them. He didn't even just stay in Judea. He went to Damascus. He went everywhere he could. He was being used of Satan. He was being used of Satan. It just shows you the lengths God will go to to change someone's life. He, he took a terrorist, Simon Zelotes. He took all of these people who had nothing to say they were good people or righteous people. But when you come into direct contact with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and if you're willing to submit, He can change you. He can change you. Isn't that awesome? As I said, we focus on all the, his, his, his teachings before. But you have to understand how Paul was before that. Now, the next part of this, this thing, after he comes to Christ, but I, I just want to point out something, that a lot of the people ran to this city called Antioch, which is in Syria. And years later, when Barnabas, and this was, um, I think, Brother Scott Graham preached this message, and I told you about it before, but it really blew my mind. And his message was they were first called Christians in Antioch. And he was given the reason why. He was given an opinion why. Because most of the people who had gone to Antioch were people who had escaped Jerusalem. They had left broken families, uh, fathers and mothers who had been put to death. Families that had been split up, people who had been tortured and in prison. And they escaped Jerusalem, go to Antioch. And some years later, Barnabas brings in Paul on a Sunday morning and says, here's your new pastor. 
Here's your new pastor, Antioch Church. His name is Paul. He's going to be your pastor now. In that audience, in that crowd, were people who Paul had personally had their families killed, tortured, put to death. And Scott Graham's uh, teaching was, that's why they were called Christians. Because they were able to forgive. And Paul stayed in Antioch for, I think, two, two years as the leader of that church. It shows you God's grace and God's mercy. And that's why I started with that scripture. He says, forgetting those. If we look back in our past, we may not have murdered anyone directly, though we may have murdered someone with our thoughts. It's just that we didn't do it because we couldn't get away with it. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Man, I could kill that so-and-so. It's the truth. We have murdered people with our thoughts. People have got on our last nerve and if we had supernatural powers and we were sure we could get away with it, we'd have done it, let's be honest. And yet God spoke to us. He may, we may not have seen a light on a Damascus road, but the reason why we're here, the reason why we're seeking him, the reason why we're trying to have a relationship is because of his mercy and his grace. He said, no man cometh to the Father but by me. And as I said, Paul had probably talked to many Christians. He'd, he'd interrogated them. And nothing they had said had made a difference. It took a supernatural act. Sometimes that's what it takes to change some people's heart and some people's direction. God has got to absolutely step in and change their life. You know, when you, when you put all of the scriptures together, the things he did, you can, it, begins, it began to hit me how he was before he became a Christian. I was talking to Brother Joe, right? Your friend. And he's just got an awesome testimony. And I, I don't want to steal his testimony, but he was a, a gang member, a gang leader. He was telling me he ran four drug houses and was bringing in 80000 a week. But he had to sleep with several guns. And even now he's got bullets in his body. And yet God saved him. And now he's a pastor as well. Isn't that something? The power of God's grace and his love. That's what I'm talking about this morning in, this, in the life of, of, of Saul. At some point, at some point, he went by Paul. Paul means little one. And maybe he was small in stature, but obviously he was great in God's mercy. He called himself what? The chiefest of sinners. And maybe now you understand why. You know, his rap sheet included murder, torture, all these things. We, know, we come back full circle to some time after he was on his way back now to Damascus to go arrest more Christians. And God did this sovereign act. God will interrupt your life and speak to you sometimes directly through circumstance. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined about him a light from heaven. 
And he fell on the earth, and I heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now in this, you may not realize it, but he asked two questions. His first question was, who art, who art thou, Lord? He had been told Jesus was God, but he didn't believe it. So his first question is, who art thou, Lord? His second question was, after he, he, he realized who he was, he asked, what wilt thou have me to do? Both questions are important. Once you realize who it is, who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, your next question is, Lord, what will you have me to do? People don't want to ask the first question because they don't want to have to do the second question. They don't, that's a question they don't want to really know the answer. Because if they really understand who it is, then the next question is, that means I'm going to have to change. That means I'm going to have to be different. And they don't want to ask the second question. But here is the, the, the difference in this Saul's life from the Saul thousands of years, uh, hundreds of years before, is when God spoke to him directly, there was a change. Lord, what will thou have me to do? He didn't demand extra proof. Okay, I must have uh, drunk some wine last night. I think I'm having a hallucination. No, something about the encounter convinced him this was real. He just needed to know who it was. Lord, what will thou have me to do? I said the greatest thing as a Christian we can ask is or say is nevertheless not my will. If you can say that and mean it, honestly mean it, I think you've gotten to a next level. Because yes, there will be cups that you may have to drink you don't want to. Because we find out later on that God is calling Saul to suffering. Now, the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us he was married, but there are many hints that at some point earlier he had been. We don't know how the separation happened or what happened in his life, and I, I won't go into this lesson. Maybe next week we'll give you, give you some, some scripture on that. But whatever it was, just like the other calls, everyone who was going to be someone great that Jesus called, they did not resist it. When he went by the seashore and he spoke to the disciples, he said, follow me. They didn't say, um, can you come back next week? <laughs> um, I want to come, but that's us. That's us. Yeah, um, I really like what you're saying. I really do. Um, but, but there's just a few things I've got to, what did the scripture say? And this is amazing. It uses this word, immediately. 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 They left their nets. Immediately. There was no fighting. There was no but. That's why, that's why God is going to honor them. It says there's going to be the names of the, the city of Jerusalem is going to have the names of the apostles. Why? Here's, here's Matthew sitting at collection and Jesus says, follow me. He walks off the job and starts to be, doesn't even pack his bags. He just, he, what faith, what, what response? Here is Saul. He doesn't start arguing with the voice. I must be drunk. Maybe I hit my head. Come again. What was that you said? 
I've told you the story so many times about that, that guy who driving at night and falls off the cliff, right? I'll tell it again for those who haven't heard it the first time, right? And he's at night somewhere out in the west and he's on a bike and he hits a stone and starts falling off the cliff and he can't see anything. It's pitch black. And somehow he grabs out and he thinks he grabs a tree and he's hanging. And he's hanging on the side of this cliff. He knows on the side of the cliff. And so he shouts out, is anyone up there? And the voice comes back, yes. Can you help me? Yes. What do you want me to do? Let go. Is there anyone else up there? <laughs> and he's there all night until morning and the sun starts to come up. And as the sun comes up, he sees he's only about a foot off the ground. All he had to do, let go. See, when God speaks to us, sometimes we don't like what he's saying. And we want somebody else to tell us what we want to hear. Right? When we don't want to take advice, we go to someone else. Because I don't like what they said. What we really want is for someone to tell us what we already have decided. I want to hear what I already made up my mind. We don't want to hear let go and let God. Is there anyone else up there? <laughs> Here we see Paul just ask two questions. Who art thou, Lord? He doesn't argue. Once he says, it's I, Jesus. His next question is, Lord, what will you have me do? What will you have me do? Imagine if we could start this week. Instead of asking God for stuff. Just say, Lord, what will you have me do? You want to try that tomorrow morning when you wake up? As your first question to God. Not, Lord, will you solve all my problems? Lord, will you pay my bill? Lord, will you... No. Just ask him, Lord, what do you want? What do you want from me? Mary told the people at the wedding when they ran out of wine... wine Whatsoever he saith, do it. Whatsoever he saith, you brought him a problem, then be prepared to obey if you want the result. They have no wine, we run up. And he, she goes and she asks him, will you, will you do He says, you know, this is not what I came here to do. This is not what I wanted to do. I didn't come here to, to, to do any miracles today. So she, she just, she just passed by. And she says to the servants, whatsoever he asks you to do, do it. Then he asked them to do something they didn't want to do. There were six huge jars that were used really for baptism. So they held 30 gallons. It wasn't, wasn't light. It wasn't, wasn't like just picking up a little bucket. That was some task he asked them to. He says, I want you to take all six. I want you to go down to the well. And fill them up with water and bring them all the way back. That was not some easy task. They could have said, wait a minute, it's wine we don't have. It's, it's, you know, we use our little puny understanding to tell God how to work out our issue. They could have said, that's not our problem. We got tons of water. We don't need no water. But you don't have no record of them asking. 
And he didn't say fill it up halfway. Fill it to the rim. That was heavy stuff to do six times. It probably took about four of them carrying that thing because water is very heavy. But they obeyed. And it's as soon as they did it, the miracle happened. Your miracle is in your obedience. I know I'm focusing on this because it's the turning point of his life. When he said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? I challenge you tomorrow when you wake up. Make your first prayer. Lord, what will thou have me to do? And let's see what happens during the week. If you say it and you mean it. That's what Jesus said in the garden. Nevertheless, not my will. Not my will. Your miracle is in your obedience. We saw that with the ten lepers, right? Jesus could have just spoken right then and they'd be healed. But that's not what he told them. He said, go. show you." But we can't do that. We're leprous. We're leprous. We can't go do that. They, that's illegal. They'll, 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 sh- they'll shove us away. He says, go show yourself to the priest. But couldn't you just speak a word now? I could, but that's not what I want to do. We always want to tell God how to fix the problem. Lord, I have a problem. This is how I want you to fix it. I want you to send me some money supernaturally in the mail tomorrow. I did that with God. And that's not how he fixed my problem. (laughs) All right, we're going to move on. So we see the life of Saul, how he was really not somebody you would have wanted to meet. He was very rigid. He had no flexibility. He was just like the law. Just like the law. And the thing about when God saves somebody who's really rotten is people find it hard to accept that they're going to be changed. And this was the case with Ananias in Damascus. God had to speak to him too in Acts 9, 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And Ananias actually comes from the Jewish word. It's related to Yochanan. Your, your it means grace. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. Of course, this was too much for Ananias. He had to have some questions. He had to make sure... God didn't make a mistake. I know that fellow. He's a murderer. He, in fact, he's killed hundreds of, of, he's persecuted, he's blasphemed. And the fact, the reason why he's coming here is probably to kill me. You want me to go to him? Are you sure, Lord? For he is called Saul of Turk. Behold, he prayeth. And had seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him. That he might receive his sight. Then Ananias, like us, would answer, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And, he he- and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. That's why we can't write anybody off. You may look at someone in the street and think, I don't even really want to go near them. 
But you can't write anyone off because Jesus died for everyone. Ananias, because he was human, knew about this man called Saul, how evil he had been, how many people. And he said, are, are you sure? The Lord said to him, go thy way, for he is, this is amazing, a chosen vessel unto me. This same man who had killed Christians, tortured them, made people blaspheme. Again, this is showing God's grace and his mercy. Your past does not matter. The Bible said all things are passed away. How's it go? A made new. He is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Because of who he was in the past, and because whenever you are steadfast to witness for Christ, there is going to be opposition. Because we're on enemy territory. The moment you decide to live for Christ and to proclaim the gospel, you are going to face opposition. You are putting a big target on your back. But that doesn't mean you can back down from that. Amen? For I will show him great things he must suffer. And Ananias, sorry, and Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hath sent me that thou might receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. See, there was a change that happened. Because he said, Lord, what will you have me do? And when he had received meat and was strengthened, then was Saul certain days with disciples which were in Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ. There was an immediate change in his life. He preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for the intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? You understand what a change God can do in your life when you truly say, Lord, what will you have me do? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus. You know what I think had happened? All these years when he was interrogating people, he'd been learning. They'd been telling him all this stuff, but he had refused. He had blocked his heart. But when he said, what will you have me do? His heart was up. And he already had been preached to by people who he had captured. And so he was able to straightway, now with the light of God's understanding, the Bible said he confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ, that the one they killed was the Messiah. And of course, immediately the Jews there said, we got to kill him. And after many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. So we see the transition in his life, starting out as someone who was very zealous for the law. And because of that, thinking he had to, 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 to defend God. God doesn't need any defense, you know that. People who try and defend God usually get into trouble when they don't do it the right way. The, the guy who tried to stop the ark from falling... Right? God doesn't need any help. He's God all by himself. 
and he'll be God when we don't exist or when we, if we were to die, he would still be God. So we see that that was his mistake. He became so zealous thinking he could make people love God. You can't make people love God. They have to come to that of them, of their own hearts. Amen. So this was the start of Paul's conversion, having lived the life where he was killing people. And I want to go back again to that first scripture that I, that I put. He said, now forgetting things that are behind. The reason why he did that is because think about now, if that was what he thought about, he could never get up. He could never come up in church. I killed Christians. I murdered them. I voted for them to be executed. That's why we have to put our past behind us. And it's sometimes very hard. The devil will come. What is he called? The accuser of the... He will bring up your past. He will say, well, you know, how can you get up there? You know, you know this is strange. I will think of things from 1975 when I was a teenager. Probably my worst year. I can think of things that I did in 1975 and the devil just the other day. Now that's what? That's almost 50 years. The devil brought back this thing to me and was beating me up with it. I really had to fight to put that down and say, I'm a new creature. That's what I was. I have to forget those things that are behind and reach for the prize of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus. You can't let your past stop you. Because if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Now, others may find it hard to believe you've changed, and that was always Paul's problem. It took many, many, many years because no one wanted to meet him. Many years later, about three and a half years later, when he went to Jerusalem, he could, none of the people would fellowship with him. Someone had to come, Barnabas had to come and say, no, he's changed, he's not the same, because they didn't trust him. Amen. And even at many years after that, he was still getting criticism. Well, you know, you can't take what Paul says, you know, you know how he was. <laughs> the devil will throw your past in your face, you know that. Because he wants to depress you, he wants to make you focus on what you were. But as I've been saying these last few weeks, God calls those things that are not as though they be. So even now when we're still not perfect, that's not what he's looking at. He's looking at the blood that Jesus shed, that covers, that washes whiter than snow, that makes us perfect. Amen. Hallelujah. So now God did a, a new thing with Paul. Before he really started to, to preach and to do his ministry, he still had some training to go. There were still some things he needed to learn. So God took him into the desert. Just like he took Israel after they came out of Egypt. Out of, he didn't take them straight to the promised land. They had to go through a desert experience. Amen. Do you know sometimes you'll go through a desert experience? Let's look at this. In Galatians, when he's writing his epistle to Galatians, he, he references this. For he have heard of my conversation, that means my lifestyle in time past in the Jewish religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. 
He destroyed churches and profited in the Jews' religion. Once you destroyed it, you confiscated their money and their whatever possessions they had and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation. He was, he was, he was more than them all, of a Pharisee of the Pharisee, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But here's the, here's the story. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. That's why we're here. We're called by his grace. To reveal his son to me. That I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately. I conferred not with flesh and blood. First of all, nobody wanted to talk with him. The only reason I, Ananias went is because God directly spoke to him and told him, go to him. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. He didn't, he didn't immediately, once he got converted, go to Jerusalem. I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. He went away for three years in the desert. Then after three years, after his conversion, then he went to Jerusalem to see Peter the first, the first time and abode with him 15 days. Paul, Paul had a desert experience. Sometimes after we come to Christ, we'll have to have a desert experience where God takes us through some wilderness where he shows us that he can keep us despite what's going on, despite the lack, despite the needs, despite the wants that we'll be going through. In, in next week's lesson, we're going to go into some of the details of, of Paul's um, life. But I wanted to focus this week on a little bit about what he was before God called him. So there's hope for me and you. Amen. If God can forgive someone like Manasseh, if God can call and use someone who was a murderer and turn him to the greatest apostle to the Gentiles, who wrote 13 of the books of the New Testament, what say you what God can do with your life? Amen? What can God do with your life? So I put a chart up there to give you a little bit of the history of when Paul got saved. So it was about, uh, they believe, between A.D. 37 and 40. So it was about six years after the crucifixion of Jesus, that six to seven years that Paul got saved. And then he took his first missionary journey about um, five to seven years after he was he was called and then all the way down to his imprisonment about AD 61 when Nero was the emperor of Rome and then also his epistles, the timing of the first one that he wrote uh, they believe was to the Thessalonian church in AD 52 and then the last one um was to Timothy around eighty sixty six sixty seven, and so we see a list of of his writings, and then we're going to look at some of the major doctrines. Of course, nearly all of the the doctrines of the New Testament Church uh, were developed by Paul. Justification by faith, by grace are we saved, not of flesh, lest any man what should boast. He proclaimed. Jesus Christ is the risen and living Son of God. He, de he, he developed the, 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 the doctrine that the church is the body. And we're not all the 
the, the, the eyes and we're a body. And that when all of the parts work harmoniously, then the body functions. Amen. He portrayed the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. He spoke about the second coming of Christ. He declared the Godhead of Jesus, especially in 2 Timothy where he said, sorry, Titus, where he says, Great is the mystery of godliness, for God was manifest in the flesh, seen of angels, glorified in the Spirit, testified, that's right. He declared the Godhead in, in his teaching. He declared how we were going to be kings and priests. And of course, he spoke a lot about marriage and family. And then he gave many instructions in his epistles to the churches about the ordinances and how the, the church should be set up, appointing deacons and bishops and overseers. And we're going to look at some of that. We will not cover all of that in this month, but we're going to, we're going to touch on some of that. Amen. Amen. And of course, probably to me, his greatest uh, doctrine was the doctrine of grace. Doctrine of grace. See, under the Old Testament, the law was what God demanded. In the New Testament, grace is what God provides. In the law, it was about what you could do. In the New Testament, under grace, is what Christ did for you. Amen. That's the great difference. For unto the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. And we're going to go into much more detail of this, but I just wanted to cover this before we end today. And I, I took these two scriptures and I made an equation of it. I don't know if you remember. Remember, the Bible tells us that until the law was given, there was sin and it caused death, but God wasn't writing it down. It wasn't being written down. But once the law came, Paul said, I died. Because now, here was a written word. I mean, you can't be prosecuted unless there is a statute. Officer, why did you arrest me? He's got to be able to say, under statute 235 of the Wisconsin Penal Code, you were going uh, 70 in a 20-mile zone. He's got to be able to state a statute. Similarly, although you were doing stupidly, if there wasn't a statute, you couldn't be arrested. But then, once the law came, then came death. But then here's the beauty. In Romans 10, 4, what does it say? For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. This was some of the themes that Paul delivered. In Romans 6, 14, he says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. So then should we sin just because we are not under the law? No, God forbid. And so his main themes which are developed in the book of Galatians and Romans is about God's grace. And I, I put it this way as a grace equation. If you could stand with me. So Romans 5.13 says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned over the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more, let's say much more, the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto men. Paul knew of what he spoke. 
All he had to do was to look back on, on what he had done. As I put it there, grace is when you get the good things you don't deserve. Mercy is when you're spared from the bad things that you do deserve. And here I put it as a, a grace equation. So Romans 5.13 really means no law, sin is not imputed. But nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. So from Adam, men still died. But then you add what Jesus did. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. In other words, Christ ends the law for believers. So when you add that all together, in Christ, sin is not imputed. And all is made alive. That's the grace equation. Isn't that awesome? Hallelujah. Next week we're going to continue the life of Paul. We looked at the transition from Saul to Paul. And now we're going to see the prophecy that he would suffer great things. But that did not stop him. I, I, I can relate sometimes to the scripture that said, I was pressed out of measure, despairing even of life itself. That's right. The great apostle Paul said that. But yet again he said, listen, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Hallelujah. Let's bow our hearts today. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness and your grace. Your love, O oh God, and your, 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 your pouring out of your grace, O oh God, as an example on Paul. Lord, I pray, O oh God, that let our faith rise to accept the grace that you have afforded us. Lord, we ask right now, Jesus, that we will ask you, Lord, what will you have us do? Lord, we just thank you for the love that you have shown in our lives, that you will enable us, that you are able to keep us from falling. Hallelujah. And present us faultless before the presence of your glory. Lord, we lift up your great name and we give you all the praise and the honor in Jesus' name. Let's give God a praise offering.